Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and thanks for having me again. Today's topic, X-Men 2, also known as X2 and X2 X-Men United. The film is based on the X-Men superhero team featuring in Marvel Comics. It is the sequel to X-Men, as well as the second installment in the X-Men film series. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. So this is not the first time the two of us have talked X-Men on the podcast. We've previously reviewed the animated series from the 90s. But this is our first time talking live-action X-Men. The guys over at Rewind and Review, they covered the first movie, and that is why we're starting with this one. But I can't believe it's taken us this long to get round to X-Men. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird one. I mean, it feels like territory we've covered. It feels like familiar territory, and it's hard to believe we haven't really gone the live-action X-Men route because it really feels like we've we've talked about them before. I mean, this came out in 2003. So we'd had the first X-Men film, we'd had Spider-Man 1, Blade had happened in 98, Daredevil was around about this time, Elektra in 05, Fantastic Four. So a lot of those films we have covered already. But yeah, X-Men, finally, we're getting around to it. Yeah, and you have to remember that X-Men 2 um, came out at a time when uh, comic book films in Hollywood were still very much in their infancy and still very much... Uh, sort of like a an unknown or unproven commodity. They're not the what we what we know them to be today. Well, this film, I would I would say, even today, is still up there as a high standard for comic book movies. Those other films, you know, I'm talking, you know, Electra, Daredevil, all those films. They feel incredibly dated now. Mm. Whereas. Mm. There's something about this film. I'm going back to the first X-Men film, just having it set. The opening of that film is the not-too-distant future. It wasn't until first class that the X-Men films started saying that the year that the the film took place. Mm. So it was the not-too-distant future. And this film still feels fresh. And there is so many highlights. I mean, the X-Men films that go off the rails, like, you know, Varying quality, but the timeline, I mean, famously, oh, doesn't make sense. They, doesn't no, they, line up. Fox, Fox just really um, made an absolute like mess of the, the timeline for the X, X films. As, as the franchise went along, it, the, the waters got more and more muddied, and it became harder and harder to keep track, of, chronologically speaking, of what happened and what took place. There, I was saying to saying about my girlfriend Sarah the other night on, on, on our watch of it that there is there's many things that Fox did well with the adaptation of the X-Men, and there are things that they didn't as well. I mean, to be fair though, the, the issues with the timeline happen after the last stand. Yes. X-Men Origins Wolverine. That's where it started. Yeah. We got another saber too. We got a young yeah. Emma Frost, even though she was older yeah. in the 60s in first class. It gets very yeah. confusing. Yeah, uh, the wheels really started falling off with X-Men Origins Wolverine. But this film ended up being the last one to have Brian Singer as director. He didn't come back for The Last Stand because he went to direct Superman Returns for Warner Brothers. Mm, that's right. 
But the development of this sequel, it began shortly after the first film was released. David Hayter and Zach Penn wrote separate scripts, combining what they felt to be the best elements of both scripts into one screenplay. Michael Doherty and Dan Harris were eventually hired to rewrite the work and change the characterizations of Beast, Angel, and Lady Deathstrike. I mean, two of those characters aren't even in the film anymore, although I suppose we do get a cameo from a human-looking Hank McCoy on a TV, but we'll get to that. Sentinels and the Danger Room were set to appear before being deleted due to budget concerns. The film's premise was influenced by the Marvel Comics storylines, Return to Weapon X, and God Loves, Man Kills. The film received positive reviews for its storyline, action sequences, and performances. The film grossed $407 million worldwide and received eight Saturn Award nominations. A sequel, The Last Stand, was released in 2006. So in the space of six years, we've got three X-Men films, and then there was a little bit of a time delay, wasn't there, between Last Stand. Oh, in fact, no, what am I saying? No, Wolverine Origins came around fairly quickly. I was thinking first class. That took a yeah. while to come around. But X-Men were on the big screen, not in colourful spandex, but in black leather. And mm. there was clearly an audience. I mean, from a budget of anywhere between 110 to 125 million, the box office, 407.7 million. It recruited wow. its production budget more than three times over. Wow. Yeah, so this film was, was a hit. And I remember when it first came out, mm. it was a big deal. Because again, yeah. going back to 2000, yeah. that first X-Men film, two years prior, we'd had Blade, a Marvel oh, Comics character, but... A lot of people didn't know that or didn't even care to know that. And yeah. then X-Men, Spider-Man in 2001 changed everything, or at least it was yeah, the these, start of everything changing. These films really set, got the ball rolling and they really established comic books as uh, a genre, uh, comic book films rather, as a genre that we know them as today. And I still look back on those, on those times and love them. Um, I love the first handful of X-Men movies right up to about X3. Um, but it's it's kind of there's a part of me now that looks back on it somewhat cynically and goes and, and says, well, the studio just wanted to pump out the product and, and you know ride the cash cow for and milk it for all it was worth. Like I can sort of see that now with a different perspective. But it doesn't make my love for the franchise diminish any. We came to these movies because we love the comics. Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, my main X-Men knowledge does come from X-Men the Animated Series. That's what I grew up on. I was more so. DC Comics, when I was growing up, that's what I would read. But the occasional X-Men or Spider-Man comic I would check out. So for me, the, my knowledge of X-Men came from the animated series and then what we're getting from these films. I've since gone back and read some more X-Men, but outside of the black leather, the portrayal that we're getting on screen, and of course, a very tall Wolverine, looks yeah. to be fairly, fairly comic accurate. I mean, the fan casting for Patrick Stewart to play Xavier had been going on for years, and it mm. happened. <laughs> it happened. It was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, great casting, and not just because he's bald. Like he's a really good actor, and he plays he plays the part really well. Now, just like it. yeah, absolutely, he he owned it. Just like that first X Men film, which has that powerful scene in the concentration camp with 
a young Magneto. The opening of this film to this day is incredible. You've got Nightcrawler is yes. in the overall office, and it's like, wow. I mean, we knew Wait, Nightcrawler. He's just bamfing and teleporting everywhere. That's it. I mean, we've, you know, again, whether it's the comics, the animated series, we know who Nightcrawler mm. is, but the portrayal in this film and that opening, I have never taken the character Nightcrawler more serious than in the opening of this film. Oh, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't it so good to see Nightcrawler get his due? Because he was obviously not in the original movie. Um, he's one of the uh, stalwart X-Men who have been around forever. And everyone who reads the comics and who saw the cartoon knows who Kirk Wagner, Night, Nightcrawler, is. So it was so great. I totally agree with you. It was so awesome to see him get his moment to shine in the opening sequence in the Oval Office. And just the conflicting nature of the character, you know, well, I'll say, yeah, conflicting is like who he is as a person compared to, you know, what he looks like. I mean, he's got the appearance of a blue demon, yet he's yeah. a man of faith. Yeah, so there's... Yeah. There's so much going on with that character. He's got a German accent in this film, which was one of the reasons why Singer wanted Cummings for the part. He's actually Scottish. He is, uh, but he does he does a great a great accent. accent. Yeah, I was like thinking, what what was the next film that we got to see him in, like a comic adaption, and it was him playing Loki in Son of the Mask. So that's what he did wow. after X Men because he doesn't come back. Apparently. It took hours, well, not apparently, it did. I've read that it took so many hours in the makeup chair, you know, not just yeah. for the blue skin, the scarring, you know, all yeah. of it. So it took so many hours that I think that's yeah. partly why we didn't yeah. see the character again. Yeah. But then we already had in this movie two blue characters, Nightcrawler mm. and Mystique. Mystique. In the third film, we get Kelsey Grammer as Beast, another blue Beast. character. So maybe they just thought, we can't have too many blue too characters. Much blur. Too much blur. Wasn't it so great? We, uh, well, as, a side, as a quick side note, wasn't the, the casting of Kelsey Grammer as Beast inspired? Wasn't that brilliant? He's great. Like He, he really is great. I'm looking forward to a rewatch of X-Men Days of Future Past. That's where yeah. I'm up to. I'm watching all of them again, starting with X-Men. The last one yeah. I watched was, uh, what was it? First Class. So I watched First Class. Yeah. So next up, if I'm following the order of release, will be Days of Future Past because the ending yeah. of that film, he's the original characters because mistakes were made, especially with uh, Cyclops' character in X-Men 3. Yeah. But we will hold off because we'll get to that at some we point will. down the line. You're doing exactly what, what we're doing over here. We're uh, In preparation for this podcast, we've been not only watching X2, but it's inspired us to watch the other ones too. And we're kind of jumping all over the timeline watching them as well. I think later on tonight, we plan to watch Apocalypse. But we, we've done Days of Future Past and we've done First Class as well as X2, like you have uh, or are about to. But Apocalypse is next on our viewing slide. I mean, unfortunately, what starts off strong with X-Men and X-Men 2, 13 films in, ends with a bit of a whimper with the New Mutants. Mm. That's where it ends, unfortunately. Not Dark Phoenix, but with the New Mutants. That was the final X film to be released. Wow. But going back to Xavier, so they always give him a great introduction. And we get it mm. here. So the, the, it's like a museum, isn't it? And there's yeah. people around. You've got characters that are starting to show off their mutant abilities. Pyro, Pyro yeah. and Iceman. 
and then yeah. everybody freezes. Freezes, yeah, because Xavier enters. You see the X's on the wheels of the wheelchair. Yes, and he comes. What I didn't know, though, this is what I found out when doing prep for this. I can't, I'm just, whenever I watch it, I'm looking around at as many people as possible. And I'm always like thinking, am I eyes tricking me? Like, because this is 2003. Yeah. CG is a lot more prominent now than it was then. Like, so many of the effects in this movie are practical. And I was like, mm. how have they done that? Have they paused the frame and then they've inserted the characters? No, I'll tell you how they did it because I'm looking at characters. Oh. And I'm like, did I just see somebody wobble <laughs> as I'm looking? Most of the extras playing frozen people were actually mimes who are used to wow. not moving. Oh how, wow, that's incredible, isn't it? That is an that's amazing. Awesome. I just, imagine, yeah, I just imagine the director in, in the big chair with, with the, the loudspeaker going and freeze or stop, and everyone would just snap to you know frozen. I thought that's literally what would happen. And they, they, like it sounds to me like that's what did happen. And they, I didn't have the knowledge that they hired a bunch of mimes to do that. I thought they were all just extras. Well, I've just found out myself. Well, most of them would have been standard extras, but I guess for particular placements in the scene to draw the eye, yeah. they went for mimes who were used to standing still. Again, like this was that's 2003. Incredible. They're making that. Yeah. I mean, this film is nearly 20 years old. It is mind blowing. That's amazing. But Isn't to make it-, it today, that would have been a CG shot for sure. Oh, that's incredible. I love it. I love, like you said, the practicality of the effects. That's just old school filmmaking. And it's a testament to the director, Brian Singer, who's uh, brilliant and his own right as a director. I mean, I wanted to, you know, acknowledge Patrick Stewart. We've done that. We've got to mm-hmm. talk Hugh Jackman Wolverine. He oh, yeah. was really good. Legend. Yeah, he was really good in that first movie. And I just yeah. always remembered the dialogue exchange between Rogue and Logan at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and she asks about the claws, does it hurt? And he just says, every time. Every time, every time. That's yeah. something I've never thought about until yeah. that film. How much? Yeah. But what I love about that is that Hugh Jackman's commitment to the character cannot be questioned. It, it's it's almost as if, if he could if he could will himself to shrink down to about five foot three, he would. If he could will himself to do that, he would, because he just really, really believes in and owns the character. And respects the character so much. Yeah. Have um, have you heard which actor's name has been thrown around at the moment? I mean, it will never, it will never happen, but there's one actor in particular. Who have you heard? I've heard uh, Milo Gibson, Mel Gibson's son. And I can see it looking at pictures of him online. Well, in the past, in the past, I've heard Scott Eastwood. He's Mm -hmm. in a number of films now. Son of that too. Also hearing Daniel I was going to say, I was going to say he's the son of Clint Eastwood, but you've said it already. Yes, Daniel Radcliffe. He's been what asked many times. Well, I've got to be honest, right? For the first time ever, I've just watched the Harry Potter films. And yeah. pleasantly surprised. Like they get a lot darker and more grown up than I, yeah, I knew they would or knew they did. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've got to be honest. It would, I don't know. I really don't know, but I do like the idea of going down that line of casting where they say, because mm. someone like Scott Eastwood, you're like, oh, I guess, you know, a bit of facial hair, claws, oh. I can see it. But I lo- yeah, I'm I more mean, drawn towards a Taron Egerton, who is more of a leading man, don't get me wrong, is in, in an action role. Mm. 
Mm. But Daniel Radcliffe, I, I like that type of casting where, you, you know what? You can kind I mean, of imagine, you can kind of imagine him bulking up. If you can imagine Radcliffe putting on some weight, putting on some pounds, hitting the gym, yeah, getting, he, really, getting quite big. He'd get up, lean, though. Kind of I don't think he'd bulk up. He'd get lean. But keep in mind, right, when Jackman was first cast, he was the singing and dancing guy from Australia. And yes. That's, that's what he was known as. And, and yeah, he made I it. Remember, he, he used to actually tell this story in the press and to everyone who would listen when he was first cast after the events of the first movie. He would tell the story of like, uh, he went, he would go to, to Canada and America and stuff. And when it was made known to people who he would speak to in his travels that he was playing Wolverine, they would just get really serious with him. And they would say, you better not screw this character up. People were so intense and so passionate about it. They were like, Wolverine. And they'll take him with surprise on that. And he'd go, yeah, Wolverine. And then they would just look at him and like, you better not screw this, this up. Everyone loves Wolverine. And so he felt a real sense of obligation not to screw the role up. And to his credit, I think he's done well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's certain characters you can't imagine anybody else playing them. And, and you get that yeah. with Jackman as Wolverine. But you yeah. know, it wasn't the first choice. They'd even no, they'd hired true. somebody else, Doug Ray Scott, and he got called back to do reshoots for Mission Impossible 2, which made him unavailable to shoot X-Men. I heard the story was that he got injured on the set of, of MI2, and that ruled him out. Oh, injury, reshoots, yeah, whatever. Either way, either or. The movie was responsible. And mm. interestingly... The worst Mission Impossible movie, although there's still some things to like about it. But, it, you know, it led to Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. The scene in the school with the Berserker Rage is incredible. And he's still oh, like, one of my favourite scenes from any X-Men movie. I mean, it wasn't until Logan when we, really we got fully, you know, full-bloody R-rated graphic gore yeah that's that's just, where that finally happened but we've yeah. got a lot of bloodless violence in that yeah. attack on the school you just yeah, went where i great. wanted to go you just went where i wanted to go with that like i love that scene too because we we, we first time we see logan channel the berserker rage um minus the blood and then the gore but and it would have been cool had they included that but obviously they couldn't back then but it was cool. I mean, just that scene where, like, that guy comes into the kitchen, that SWAT guy all done up with his gun and everything and the torch and everything, and Logan just, like, he picked the wrong house, Bob, and then he just sinks the claws straight into his chest. And it's I incredible. Wonder, though, yeah. But I wonder, though, for the, for, the, um, for the sakes of shooting that scene, whether, like, he just pretended to sink the claws into his chest, like he didn't have him in, or whether they were just, like, kind of plastic retractable ones that would just simply just kind of, like, pop, sort of, you know, how they, you know how you get toys, like the lightsaber toys you can get, and you flick them out, and they're, like, yeah. telescopic? And yeah, I mean, there is, I mean, there is CG in this movie, so you imagine, you know, it would be a mixture of practical and CG effects. Yeah. Because there's times where there's times where the claws are, are clearly there. Like the bit with Bobby Drake's cat yeah. licking the tips of the claw. Of course, yeah. I looked into that as well. Like, well, I didn't specifically look into that. I just came across that when I was prepping for the show. Frozen yeah. iced tea. That's what they put on the end of the claws to get the cat to lick, <laughs> lick them. Wow. In that scene. But um, but yes, like Hugh Jackman, tour de force, 
in all of his ex-film appearances. Like he is great in these films. And the casting of Ian McKellen as Magneto. Oh, that was wasn't that brilliant. On one hand, I loved it. Like at the time, like, wow, you know, you've got these like English thespians as Xavier yeah. and Magneto and that American casting. American comic book movies. Yeah. Yeah, but the casting just seemed perfect. But at the same mm. time, I've got to be honest, seeing him cast, I'm like, it's an old guy or an older yeah, guy. He's I mean, old, yeah. And this was before Lord of the Rings, I think maybe by a yeah. year, the first X-Men film. Yeah. In the comics, you've got to be honest, Eric Lesher isn't drawn as an old man. He's drawn as no, a young man with white hair. He looks like in the comics... He, he's grey-haired like an old man would be, but he looks... That's what I mean. Often off white, he's white-haired. Even in the you know the yeah. cartoon, the X-Men cartoon from the he's 90s, he's a, he's a ripped, young-looking guy with white hair, and the white hair is to signal he's an older guy. But he never looked older. Yeah. So again, Done. loved the casting, but at the same but time, you're like, oh, this is an older guy. But it, yeah, yeah, that it works... It works perfectly. But then going back to the time frame thing that we're talking about, because if you're looking at, I think it, somebody did like a, a graph and it's from Dark Phoenix and the time between Dark Phoenix and the first X-Men film isn't that much really. I mean, Dark mm. Phoenix is set during the 80s or maybe it's the 90s. I think it might be the 90s. So we're talking like 10 plus years and then, Visually, you're going from Michael yeah, yeah. Fassbender to Ian McKellen. Yeah. yeah. And yes, if you <laughs> it's go, like wow, he had um he had a rough few years. Yeah. Then days of days of future past, they, they travel back into the 70s. Logan travels back into the 70s. So you know, you, you, you there's three decades where 70s, 80s, 90s, or and probably the 2000s, four decades. That's a good so point, actually. That's what they did. Yeah. Yeah. So it is yeah. Dark Phoenix is 90s. First X-Men film, although it was released in 2000, like I said earlier, the not-too-distant future. <laughs> but still, anyway. That, that, I was working, trying to work this out of my head the other night, and that kind of tells me that maybe when they experimented on Logan and gave him the adamantium claws and skeleton, that would have been the 80s. When Stryker implements that in, in him, it would have been the 80s. Well, that's, yeah, X-Men, they, X-Men Origins is set in the 80s. Yeah, because if you because Stryker appears in Days of Future Past, and at the end of the movie, you can tell he clearly has plans for, for Logan when they when they dig him up from or from because he drowns at the end of it. They pull him up, and then Stryker's like, "I'll take it from here." And that was in the seventies. That's right. That's when I was. Yeah. You know what? That's what. I, let's let's try and stay in two thousand and three. Let's try yeah. and stay on X Men. That's the problem. That's the problem we have yeah. with, with the X Men is that we're bound to talk about the chronology. You can't. That's know right. It's like, it's, like, it's like Schrodinger's cat. You can't know it. <laughs> but McKellen, great as Magneto. The helmet is slightly redesigned for this movie as he found the helmet from the first movie uncomfortable. Mm. So there we go. So made his life a little bit easier. Halle yeah, Berry yeah. as Aurora Monroe Storm. I like her as Storm. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. she got Critically stuck underused. with well, she got stuck with that Joss Whedon line in the first movie. You know what yeah. happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? Oh. The same thing Fire as roll. anything else. It's awful. Apparently, yeah. Whedon he wrote two lines for that film, and that is one of them. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's cringeworthy, man. 
but part of that scene though, she does have that moment in the elevator shaft because the lightning, she flies up. Anyway, it's I think she's better used in this one. And yeah. there's a reason for that as well. The script underwent rewrites to give her more screen time after she won an Oscar for Monsters Ball, which came out two years earlier. So in between X-Men 1 and 2, she won an Oscar. So she got yeah. more screen time. But then yeah. if you look at X-Men The Last Stand, I know I'm saying we should stick to this movie, but if you look at The Last Stand, she, she well, no, she's in it more. And she's second build. And if you have oh, it on DVD go. or Blu-ray, on the cover, you've got Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, and then the name wow. of the movie. So she did wow. quite well out of these X-Men films, but I think winning that Oscar definitely helped. Oh, yeah, yeah. Famke Jansen is Jean Grey. Yeah, she's great. She's iconic. I mean, she's she looks great. She's attractive. She, but she just, and she, you, you, you look at her and you go, that's Jean. You can't not see anyone with Jean Grey when you look at her. I mean, the red hair and moving things with her mind helps. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I definitely see Jean Grey when I see her. My two points of reference before seeing her in this, Goldeneye oh, yeah, and yeah. The Faculty. Okay. The Alien Invasion film directed by Robert Rodriguez. Still love that film. Great film. Right. So I'd seen see, her there. And then... And then in this, of course, she is playing Cyclops' fiance, even though she's attracted to Wolverine. So that love yeah. triangle from the comics, from the comics. Is, is in the film. They, they hinted that in the show too, in, in the um, the cartoon, the 90s cartoon that we both love. There are hints of that dynamic. You know, I know that there's more characters to talk about, but I quickly just want to touch on, I've always loved the end of this film. She... Mm or it looks as though she dies. The characters believe she's died, but then you just see the shadow over the water of the Phoenix. Always loved that. Originally, she fully transformed into the Dark Phoenix as part of the movie. It's so much better. Just having it so, if you know, you know, but if you don't know, then it just goes over your head. So just having... Like, if you know X-Men, you know she's alive. And then yeah. just to put a pin in the movie, she has the closing monologue, which is the same as Xavier, yeah. the opening monologue yeah. in the right. first X-Men film. I thought, ah, oh, perfect. The only thing I don't like about the X-Men movies is that we they rehash old ground a few times. They tread familiar ground. We, we dealt with the Dark Phoenix saga, or so we thought, at the end of X2 and, the start, and, and also through X3 that covers Jean's Phoenix transformation. So why then do we have to have a Dark Phoenix movie further on down the line devoted to her as well with a different actress? Honestly, they didn't do a good job with The Last Stand. Right. So they kind yeah, of figured years later, and Simon Kinberg was involved both times. Years later, right. let's have another go at it. Yeah. And it was just disastrous. The animated series that we've both referenced a couple of times already, they did a five-part episode mm. of the Dark Phoenix saga. That's how you do it. Yeah. That point is how you do it. And everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, right. man, the, the Dark Phoenix movie, like, apparently at one time it was supposed to be Skrulls who were the alien invaders, but then they couldn't because Marvel Studios were using them for Captain Marvel, yeah. and it, it just got a bit murky. So then we ended up with generic aliens and... Yeah, unfortunately, 
that should have been ah, oh, it should have been so much better. That film. We're doing it again. I we're agree. talking about other. We're yeah. talking about I other X films. Can you remember? Can you remember? Right. Still talking other X films at the end of Apocalypse in the yep. Danger Room and that awesome Cyclops costume, which is very similar. I'd say costume. Is it a uniform? It's a uniform, isn't it? But it's similar uniform. to the Jim Lee design from the comics. And I remember getting to the end of Apocalypse thinking, great, that's what we're going to see in Dark Phoenix. No, they changed it up again. They changed yeah. it up and they gave them all matching uniforms, similar to what they did in First Class. Yeah, with the blue and yellow. Cyclops, though. Let's talk about this Cyclops. James, James Marston. James Scott Summers, Cyclops. I've always liked James Marsden in this role. I mean, we mentioned before that uh, Singer left for Superman Returns. Well, he also went <laughs> to Superman Returns and played oh, the son wow. of Perry White. So whether that's why they decided to kill him off screen, I'm doing it again. I'm talking another X-Men yeah. film. Let's talk. Well, we have, we have, we have to. We, <laughs> but uh, we're going to get to it, though. Yeah, yeah, but we're going to do it at a later date. We'll we'll come back yeah. to it. Let's try and stay on X Men yeah. Two. Although I've got to be honest, we're both as bad as uh, each other at this you point. Look at Marston, you look at Marston, the Cyclops, and it's like they literally took the design for the character from the cartoons and put him in a movie. He he looks like he could have been plucked from the pages of the comics or the cartoons. James Marston has that quality about him. He just looks like the Cyclops we all know and love. Yeah, it, it, it's a shame that that he wasn't in this film more. And what I did find. Character development heavy scenes of Cyclops and Professor X being brainwashed by Stryker were shot, mm. but Fox cut them out because of time length and story complications. David mm. Hayter was disappointed, feeling that Marsden deserved more screen time. I agree with that. It's a shame that we I don't agree. get more of him, especially after what, what comes next. Mm. Anna Paquin as Rogue. I remember Freaky being... Yummy. I remember being disappointed in that first film just because she didn't really feel like the character of Rogue other than having that ability to drain people's powers and life force. But I don't yeah. know. I, I came to warm to her version of the character, to be honest, over the films. Yeah. She was critically underused, and you did, everything you've just said there is pretty much verbatim of what Sarah and I have been saying in recent um, nights when we've been watching the X-Men films, just how how much of a disservice it was to Rogue's character that they really didn't show her or portray her the way she comes across in the comics and comes across in the cartoon where she's so much stronger. I mean, she's flying around. She flies. It's one of her abilities. She flies. And she can just like, she can smash a sentinel with a fist, right? She can punch a sentinel in the face and it goes toppling over. She's that strong and that powerful. And she just doesn't come off anywhere near that powerful in the movies. You know what? I mean, it's complicated, isn't it? Because the reason why she has that power in the comics is because she has the powers of Carol Danvers' Miss Marvel, who would go on to be yeah. Captain Marvel. So if yeah. you're looking at Fox and what they have rights for, mm. if they've not got rights to the Captain Marvel character or Miss Marvel, well, I suppose they could have just made up a different origin or that just being her natural abilities. Skills but. Have. Yeah, but, I mean, that that's you, what you I know Rogue to be. So, yeah, she didn't really feel like no, Rogue. she was critically underused. I mean, she, had, underused. That, she had the Southern drawl, you know, you know, like we got in the animated series. But, yeah, yeah, she didn't have the flight and super strength. So she felt a bit no. lacking in the Rogue department. But, again, I mean, if I'm honest, like, it's almost like 
the relationship that Rogue has with Wolverine is similar mm. to what Wolverine has with Jubilation Lee in the comics. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It's almost like he's the older brother or the or the or the, the father figure, you know, so some kind of um, elderly male model, role model that she can turn to for advice or, or consolidation. So again, I you know, I, I just I accepted it. Okay, so this is who the character is in these series of films. That's yeah, that's fine. Rebecca mm-hmm. remains Stamos as Raven Darkholm Mystique. Like remember, like in the comics for years or for as long as the character had been around. She had mm. the you know the white dress. She had the skull head mm. belt. That was yeah. how that character looked. And then as soon as we got that first X Men movie, nope, Boom. naked She's blue lady, <laughs> naked yep. blue naked, lady, naked scaly blue lady. Yep, Starkers, and yep. looked great. I mean, from what I've read, they reduced dramatically the time that she had to spend in makeup. By mm. at least a couple of hours between films, because they quickened the process. And a big difference, actually, is that unlike the first movie, she has contact lenses in that. And this yeah. time with this film, they're rendered digitally, so it's a CG effect. Yeah. So that I guess would have been easier for her, and you know, less Probably time. Probably did the same thing with Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, but then, again, we're doing it. We're talking about other X films. But I think she just got to the point, and similar to Halle Berry, actually, she became more and more famous and spent less time blue, more time looking um, just like Jennifer Lawrence, essentially. Sure. But there's that great moment, isn't there, with the security guard? And they've got Magneto in the plastic prison, and down to the point where they've got Magneto wearing Crocs. Like no, like no metal at all can be in there, and yeah, it was a great way of the security guard who was being a bit of a dick oh, to man. Magneto. It gets drugged, they're in the stall, and we actually see Rebecca remain what she looked like at the time when she's not in the makeup, which is pretty cool. And then mm. Magneto is like, "Is it something like oh, Mister Lawrence?" Or to the security guard, it's like, "There's something different. different about you." That was a great scene. Yeah, I love it. He's like, yeah, I was having a good day. And he's, no, no, it's not that. And then he realizes too much iron in his blood. That's How right. Good is That's that? what it was. How good is that? It's such an ingenious breakout scene. The fact that because there's no metal in there, because it's all plastic. How do you get metal in there? Well, you smuggle it in someone's blood. You just boost their iron levels. And he's able to just extract it and use it, the iron as, 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 as a form of ma- mag- magneticism. Genius. Mag- Always. Yeah, always, Brilliant. always like that. The one thing I love about that, the one thing that gets me every time, so I think it's fantastic, is that when he breaks out and he, for, he uses the iron to form that disc that he stands on to, to, to levitate across to the other side of the platform. And then you see those two little balls of, of, of metal just grab it, just the swirling around him and it look like, like atoms. And it's like, it just looks so cool. You, just, you can imagine like something like that, that Stan Lee would have just plucked straight out of Stan Lee's brain. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, visually, that whole scene works brilliantly. You know, you mentioned Stan Lee there. No cameo in this film. Yeah, I noticed that. He was in the first one. He doesn't have cameos in this. He does have an S3, though. There's a scene where they go to confront the child, the child-aged gene. Ah, that's right, and he's watering the lawn. Yeah, watering the lawn. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The water goes up in the air and he's just standing there going, what the hell? 
but he's not in this one for some reason unless unless it's a blink and you miss a cameo that we miss no no he's definitely he's definitely not in this one and there's Mm -hmm. a couple of other movies where he doesn't appear like he's not in days of future past he's not in x-men origins wolverine first class apparently um he was asked and his response was nobody asked me there you go. Wow. So that's but like wow. you say though, the film after this, it was in that opening with a really haunting looking de-aged Xavier. Like <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they'd not quite got to young Danny Jr. in Civil War yet, had they? So the the de-aging the, technology wasn't quite there. The, briefly touching on that, I thought the casting of James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender as their younger counterparts was pretty good too. Incredible. The, yeah. likeness, is, the likeness is there. You can see it. Well, it I, good casting. well I, but the performances as well, like the, the calibre of actor, just like they've got for this film, it's definitely, mm. definitely there. Absolutely. Brian Cox as Colonel William Stryker. And it gets you know really, what's... really grim with his character when you find yes. out that he's using his son, Jason, yeah. The way that he is, and Jason was responsible for the death of his mother or Stryker's wife. Yeah. So this film Wasn't does he... get quite dark. I'm confused about that though. Wasn't he essentially Legion? No, it's a different character. Ah, uh, right. Just, it's a different character. Yeah, and well, Legion was Xavier's son, wasn't he? This is Stryker's That's son. Right. And then, son. but apparently, I think Jason is an original character for this film. But gotcha. was based on another character from the comic. I'm blanking on what that character's name was. Striker's involvement. Striker's involvement is basically what you were talking about earlier. I'm glad you you brought it up. Uh, God loves man kills, which was a um, a graphic novel uh, put out in the 80s. It was an X Men one, and it was about you know persecution against mutants by a religious pastor named William Striker. And they've basically adapted that, but they've given him a military background rather than a religious background for the film. And um, Brian Cox does a good job of playing that character with such such venom and hatred. But yeah, particular- I mean, yeah, he's he's really good in this. And Singer wanted him for this after being a fan of his Hannibal Lecter from the movie Manhunter. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I mean, first put him on his radar. Exactly, and also just the fact that he has a particular affinity for Wolverine, as we have come to discuss, as we have come to realise throughout the timeline. He's the man responsible, in the films at least, for giving Wolverine his adamantium. So we've got Sean Ashmore as Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman. Yep. The, the next film has him go fully iced. Oh, that like was Completely, cool. which is, you know, how we, how we know the characters are being from the comics. Yeah, he used to ice, he used to ice up. Not in, in this one, it is a little bit of ice. Yeah. Anyway, but in, in this yeah. film, like we do get that scene when when they're on the run after the invasion of the mansion, he goes to his family home. And at, the, yeah. at that moment, or until they arrived, they thought it was a special school, but nothing to do with being a mutant. They didn't know yeah. their son was a mutant. I thought that whole scene yeah. was handled very well. Ian mm. McKellen works with the screenwriters to make the scene where Drake tells his parents he is a mutant to look more like common gay coming out. Yeah, coming out, yeah. And that's that's it. X-Men, yes, it's about it superpowers, 
but you know, it's about race, sexuality, and yeah. all of this. And Very much know, so. it was interesting, interesting to know that McKellen did actually contribute to that scene. But that scene that always, sense. always played well. And then we get that great, that we get the great action scene outside. Although, yeah. I, I don't know about. Wolverine getting shot in the head and he's just taking him out yeah, of action for as long as it I'm does. Glad you that's, never, that's never sat well with me. No. He would, it shouldn't take Rogue to heal him up to, for that bullet to come yeah. flying out of his forehead. Yeah. He I mean, it didn't, like, yeah. didn't penetrate his skull I mean, because, of course, it can't because he's got an adamantium no. laced skull. Exactly. So they, that doesn't make sense. I know. Whenever yeah. I've watched that, it's clearly, it's like, right, well, the screenwriters, they're thinking, we need Wolverine not to be a part of this section of the scene because pyro needs to do his thing and he can't do that if wolverine can just stop him but i just yeah Yeah. it never sat well with me either one thing one thing really annoys me was when the guy the cop says to him put the knives down and he says i can't look and he holds his he holds his hand up with the claws still fully protruded wouldn't you think he would just retract them instead of saying you know i can't look um, wouldn't you think he would after like leaving the claws out and the, and the cop just shoots him in the head? Wouldn't you think he would just pop his claws back in and retract them? Like two things. Part of two things. One, you're absolutely right. But two, mm. obviously, what they're doing in that scene is where people have been mistaken to having a weapon or a firearm. So that that's clearly what they're doing with that scene. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got mm-hmm. someone who's been shot by a policeman, and then yeah. the policeman's like, "Well, I thought you had a gun. It was a mobile phone." He's, you know, again, that's so. The, do you know what I mean? So there's a reason I, I get why they're doing it, but I agree with you. Like, it wouldn't make perfect sense for him to just retract the clause, but that scene had to go a particular way. And it was for the yeah. character, uh, Pyro, played by Aaron Stanford, for him to yeah. start to, I'm going to say, turn to the dark side or, you know, turn mm. to the brotherhood of evil mutants. Yeah. And we see more of his yeah. character and the dark path that he takes with Magneto in that next film. You know, we need to talk about Kelly Hugh as Yuriko, a.k.a. Deathstrike. That's right. I mean, is it? Is it Deathstrike? I mean, it's not, is it? It, She's got the name Deathstrike. She's not not Deathstrike in the comics. But she's not got that past with Wolverine. That was the interesting thing about their relationship. Like, Yuriko and Logan used to be in a relationship they drifted apart. He was experimented on. She was experimented on in a different way to him. But in this film, she's got adamantium fingernails. Nails. That's that's yeah. what they're doing. I've seen Kelly Hugh in quite a few things since, to be honest. In this film, she was clearly hired to stand there yeah. and just to be present. And she does martial arts. She's got the physicality, but she's got one line of dialogue in the entire mm. movie. Bill, that- also, her father, uh, she claims in the comments that her father invented the adamantium bonding process, and so she always wanted Wolverine's adamantium back. She was always trying to say, well, give me the adamantium back that you have in you. I want it back. It's my father's. It's not your right to claim that. Yeah, so that's, so always, that's interesting. Banging about that's yeah. interesting, though. Always, You've yeah. got something that belongs to my family. That is interesting. That's not, yeah, in, yeah. That's not in this movie. That's not so in the I movie. I think... No, she's just... We've, she's rightly just, so, we've praise so much about this film up until this point but there's certain things that makes it come off the rails a little bit so the character the portrayal so the portrayal of Deathstroke that's one that's not the best 
I had always been so disappointed. Mm. We've got Daniel Cudmore as Peter as Rasputin, what? Colossus. Yep. And he goes like full Colossus. He's metal. He's got the metal skin and is like, I can help you to yeah. Wolverine. And Wolverine's like, no, help them. Help That's it. You help them. He's gone. Yeah. That was it. That yeah. was our Colossus moment for the movie. Yeah. We saw him always been. I know, but but him going like full Colossus, like the metal skin. Yeah. I was like, oh, he'd have been great. In the opening of the next movie, we'll get the fast forward special, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. So I just but been doesn't even, disappointed. He doesn't, even have the, he doesn't even have the Russian accent. He sounds like an American college frat boy. I can help you. You know, that's it. I mean, you could say Deadpool is when we got the true Colossus, but that is also a different movie that we're not here to yeah. review. That we're not talking about because we, we really want to. Yeah. yeah, well, Deadpool, we've covered on that film, Stu, so we did that back when it first yeah. came out. Gambit, yeah. remember Gambit yes. <laughs> from the comics? And later portrayed by Taylor Lautner. Well, his character, they that's shot much. a cameo. They actually, yeah, Taylor, oh, that's right, yeah. Taylor Lautner, who's that? Oh, that's the wolf guy from, <laughs> from, yeah, from Twilight. Was the guy used. Yeah, oh, yeah. good catch. Yes, so he mm-hmm. later played... Wolverine, and then for a long time, Channing Tatum was trying to get a Gambit movie made, and never happened. Yeah. But they shot a Gambit cameo for this film. For this movie, footage wow. was not used in the final cut. Also, there was a final scene with Xavier. There was a girl scene dressed in a Native American style jacket, as well as a blonde-haired boy dressed in blue, played by Lake Anderson. These yep. were confirmed to be Danielle Moonstar and Douglas Ramsey. So you'd know them from uh-huh. the X Factor comics. Yep, yep. I think it was just Fox being worried about too many characters. Yeah. Even if it was a cameo, like an Easter egg, they obviously mm. you know, didn't want it to be too much. I did find, and this was surprising, right, when doing prep for this, that there were... A lot of concerns over budget for this movie. I mean, granted, mm. it got a slightly bigger budget to the first X-Men film, but it, it's not like the money that Disney are throwing at Marvel Studios yeah. films now. You think the studio would be happy to throw more money? Yeah, you know, great, let's ride this great but train. But not, not back then, though. I mean, like I said, I mean, keep in mind, right? So before Blade in 98, there'd been Superman yeah. films in 78, the 80s, There'd been Batman 89 through to 97. Yep. There'd been no Chris Nolan Batman Begins yet. So no. they, again, comic book films weren't in 2003 what they are now. So they were clearly just being a bit cautious about where they are spending the money. This bit yeah. actually surprised me, right? Most of the exterior shots of the Xavier Mansion were recycled from the first movie because they didn't wow. have the budget to shoot them again. They reused wow. footage from that first film. I mean, again, crazy. how many different ways can you shoot a mansion? But they just used the same footage, but budget restraints. And that seemed to come up quite a lot when talking the special effects or the locations, mm-hmm. the sets. You know, what is worth noting, the mansion used for the school is also the mansion that is used for Lex Luthor in Smallville. I've heard that. And before that. Smallville, before X-Men, it was the mansion in Billy Madison in 95. 
So there you go. So the original resident of the wow. Xavier Mansion was Billy Madison. <laughs> oh, wow. Can you imagine? There we go. The That's original crazy. mutant. That is nuts. But speaking of special effects shots, I mean, again, they did still throw money at this film, just not as much as yeah. they would do if it was made today. There are approximately yeah. 800 digital effects in the film. I'm not surprised. I mean, it was a really, it was an emerging technology at the time. And granted, comic book movies then aren't the, uh, the, the proven commodity that we know them to be today. Um, but yeah, I'm not surprised that they started to really invest in them a bit more and take them seriously and throw money at them because they realized it would draw an audience. You know, with, with the score, they did change composers. For this film, Brian Singer's friend, John Ottman, was mm-hmm. hired. And he was also the movie's co-editor, replacing wow. Michael Kamen, who worked on X-Men. Oh, well, there you go. So Michael Kamen, I'm familiar with him because he, yep. along with Eric Clapton, did the score for the Lethal Weapon films. Well, there you go. He also collaborated with Metallica. Ah, well, there we go. Mm-hmm. But he didn't come back. John Ottman, who then also, along with James Marsden and Brian Singer, left the X-Men films for Superman Returns. Yeah, Singer would eventually come back, though. It would just take a while. Did he, though? Yeah, he did. He came back and did a few other oh, did, did, did he do um, yeah. Days of Future Past? Yes. Oh, wow. Honestly... I I've not seen that for years, and I said earlier it's the one that I'm watching next. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm still going through my refresher course of X Men. Yeah, he came back for that. I don't know if he did Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix though, but he definitely came back for Days of Future. Oh, do you know what? You, you know, I think he actually did come back and do Apocalypse as well. What am I thinking? Okay. I was yeah. It's been so long since I've seen the X Men films. That's, That's why, why I'm enjoying I'm watching Apocalypse later on tonight. I can't wait to get into it. That's that. it. That's why I'm enjoying doing a full rewatch. Yeah. It's been it's, it's, ever since you mentioned um, covering X two for this for this show. Um, it's really inspired me to, to do do a deep dive back into all things X Men. Not only am I going back and watching the movies, but I'm busting out comics from my collection, like the Age of Apocalypse storyline. I'm doing those again too. So it's oh, really reminded to, me. Pleased to hear that, and I, I've got to be honest. Like we're doing this podcast for many years now, and it happens. Like it happens. It, it rekindles your interest, your love, your passion. For yeah. you know, something that you maybe haven't thought about in a while. Because I've got to be honest, like yeah. all the movies are on Disney Plus and I've seen them on there, but I didn't plan on watching them. And then it was just one night. I'm like, do you know what? I'm struggling to find something to watch as a one off. I'll just watch X Men. And it finished. Mm. And I'm like, I really need to see X Men too. And I've just, and I thought, yeah. you know what? I'm going to make a 13 film commitment. But yes, yeah, so doing the podcast, whether it's film, TV, just going back and just re-experiencing things because we live in a world where like every week there's something new, TV, yeah. film, like it's, it's so relentless. And, yeah, yeah so, I agree. So it's often hard to find time to go back and watch something you've seen. So you need to give yourself uh, a, a purpose to do that. And because you have that purpose and you and I have that, that purpose in common here, that's what we're doing. And we're re- rekindling our enthusiasm and passion and love for this thing that we grew up with. That's it. So we're only going to rate X-Men 2, although we've talked about lots of X-Men, but if you're going to rate yeah. this movie out of five. I'm coming in at four. I think four is fair because we've picked a few holes in it. Um, there's definitely holes you can pick in this, and um, we don't really need to go into, a, into it when we're doing nothing but <laughs> for the last hour or so, but we're just under. 
but yeah, um, definitely a four out of five for me. There's things I could have done better. As I said at the outset, um, there's things that Fox did well with the X-Men franchise, but there's things they didn't do so well. And that's why I'm coming in at four. There's stuff that could have been handled so much better. There's, there's lots of um, inconsistencies um, and things that could have been done better. So, but oh, but it's still, it's it's a pretty decent and faithful adaptation of the X-Men, I feel. Sure, they tweaked it. Sure, they play around with their color, with their costumes um, and some of their backstories and things. But for the most part, these characters translate onto the big screen pretty well. Um, it's not a literal adaptation, but it's it's good enough. So, and I, I've always enjoyed them and liked them. And they, like you said, the nostalgia thing is huge. So I agree. I totally agree. So I, I think I'm coming in at four out of five. Yeah, that's fair. And I agree. I'm also going to come in at a four. I need to rewatch Daisy Future Past because often people refer to that as the best of the X-Men films outside of Logan. And I'd agree. this film is always part of that conversation as well. So I'm looking forward to rewatching Daisy Future Past. But this film, it's still... It holds up like what made it a great film in 2003 still makes it a great film today. Yeah, it's not great. perfect. And the, you know, Cyclops being underused, certain scenes involving Wolverine. But things like the opening of the movie with Nightcrawler in his attack on the White House, the Zerka mode in the mansion with Wolverine, like there's so yeah. many, there's so many highlights. Yeah, and it's, and it's always good, like with these movies, where is yes, you can sit and watch them as a whole, but certain comic book films, the best comic book films, they have key scenes. And you can think, yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to go back and watch the mansion scene with Wolverine. Or, you know, I'm going to just go back and watch the opening. So it's got so much going for it. And yeah, it's, it is a really good film, but it is not a perfect film. Uh, but I'd say out of the original trilogy, this is the best of the three. Strongest. Yeah, I agree. It is a very good film. I totally agree. If we're just talking the original three movies, this one's got to be the best. I agree. Well, that's it for our episode all about X-Men 2. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.